2: Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM.
3: Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room on
0: Joy 99.7 FM.
4: And welcome to the Football Daily with me, Aaron Paul. Very happy to say it. I'm in the company of the former Liverpool and Everton, West Ham and Millwall midfielder, Don Hutchinson <laughs> and Five Live Sport Euro leagues legend, the one and only Julian Laurent is with us. Jules, um, good to have you with us. I haven't worked with you before, but really looking forward to it. You cover a, a ridiculous amount of European football across different countries, but if there's one pundit if there's one person who could challenge that level of expertise on the various leagues i reckon it would be don hutchinson so while we have you both with us i'm gonna throw some bbc sport gossip column transfer rumors at you that have a bit of a continental flavor on a scale of one to ten i want sort of you know how likely are they going to happen one not a sausage. Ten being get your shirt printed, in fact, get your arm tattooed. Tell me about these deals. Let's start with Ajax's Anthony to Manchester United. Are you having it?
5: Yes, I am. I think it's a 7 out of 10 right now because, again, this is is of now. Things can change very quickly in both ways, as as we all know in football. Yeah, we'll go 7 out of 10 for now because Ten Hag wants to work with him again. I think he wants to move to a bigger club, which United are compared to Ajax. So... I think this one, yeah, this one's got legs. Not yet the full shirt printed, but start making your way to the towards the shop.
4: Book Ooh. the tattoo artist, don't get it done yet. Not yet, not
5: yet, yeah. Wait a little.
2: Donald, you having it? Well, if Julian's going seven, I'm going eight. Of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Quite all the talk. reasons that Jules has mentioned, I think it's always nice as a player when your manager gets a move and you want to follow your manager who you trust. And Anthony is an unbelievable player. I mean, Jules have seen so much of him. He's so talented, plays on the right-hand side. Cuts in on his wand of the left foot. So for United, if they can get the the signing over the line, a good signing.
4: What about Evan Nielsen of Porto to Manchester United, Jules? Uh,
5: not a sausage, not a Pringle, not a whatever. I mean, certainly for now, there's been no contact, no offers, and like what was reported in Portugal, he's a young player. He's 22. He's he's promising. I think there's something there. I don't think right now is what. One United need two that is even ready for it. It's not Darwin Nunes, for example, or or Erling Holland. So right now, nothing. Just don't leave the sofa.
4: Don, I'm coming back to you first with this one because I feel that you're just going to follow Julian. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> Rafinha of Leeds United to Barcelona. Are you having it? Have they got some money? No.
2: See, I don't know because Barca's is just an absolute conundrum because he set his heart on Barca, but we all know with their financial problems, no one's got a clue really. Julian's the best man to talk about their finances, but no one really knows because have they got any money? Do they need to sell? Lewandowski's waiting in the wings. That's their number one priority signing. Arsenal have come in. So my hunch is him going to Barca is probably about
5: a three out of ten. I think that's, that's good. Three out of ten, that's good done, because they don't have the money. And if they have a little bit of money from the, the Young transfer, for example, or someone else's transfer, they can, I mean, they will have they they, they are only allowed to use 25% of, of that money anyway. So it won't take them far. It certainly won't take them as high as, as Leeds wants for, for Rafinha. So there's Lewandowski, as you said before, there's probably even Bernardo Silva ahead, mm-hmm. ahead in that order. And Kessie and Christensen to register as well with some of that money from the young transfer. So I'm afraid, but I think Rafinha will have to, to, to think about another club.
4: Jules, PSG or Bayern to potentially beat Chelsea to Ousmane Dembele? What do you reckon?
5: hmm i would say neither boys neither psg were keen at some point because he's kilian's friend and also because leonardo was the sporting director now that leonardo is gone and the club is taking a slightly different direction he's not so high on the shortlist and for Bayern, they've just signed Sadio Mane. So how many wingers do you want? I mean, I, I know, Aaron, you love a winger, but I mean, come on, how many do you want to play? So, Koman and Sané and Gnabry who are still there and Mane now, if you add Dembele to it, I think is it's really too many. So, for me, Chelsea, I think they need someone like him. I think, obviously, Tuchel has worked with him at Dortmund before, he loves him. I think the Premier League would be good for for Usman. Uh, I'm not sure if London would be good, there's, there's a lot of distractions, but... <laughs> but I think you know, if he can behave, there, there's something there. Passoon saucisse, as you would say. But <laughs> <sense. laughs> yeah. Pe- no, peut-être une petite saucisse. Just a little
4: one. Just a little one. Are you are you having that done? Is it a little sausage? Are we going <laughs> for Dembélé to potentially head to either PSG? Or, or Bayern, or do you reckon he's heading
2: to Chelsea? He ain't going to buy Bayern. As Jules said, they've got a million million and one wingers. He, he can't go buying. I mean, the trouble with Dembele is, yes, he's on a free transfer. So it, on the face of it, it feels like a very good signing. The trouble when you look at a character assessment on him and you look at game time, you know, it, it, was, it was a wonder why in his early days at Barca, he couldn't stay fit. I think London and Chelsea would be the best move for him, but that puts Callum Hudson-Odoi and Hakim Ziyech under pressure. But I think at the two clubs, Julian knows more about the insides of PSG. I don't see that move happening. So probably Chelsea is probably a six or seven out of 10.
4: Thank you very much to those gentlemen. Let's start uh, this pod proper now with uh, England's Lionesses. Their preparation for the Euros continues on Friday evening against defending European champions, the Netherlands. And there will be commentary on Five Live Sport from Ellen Road. Jules, you'll be part of Five Live Sports coverage when the tournament Mm. gets underway. And on paper, what a game, what a warm-up game this is between
5: two of the early tournament favourites yes you're right it should be great it should give an indication already a bit of the form of the momentum the dynamic for the for the two teams obviously England have a, have a head coach in in Wayman who knows this 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 Netherlands team so well because she guided them to to this trophy before um but I think they just know each other so well I think their favorite I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bit of a cautious cautious approach because you don't want to give away imagine losing three nil or winning three nil we would give a I think a big psychological advantage, almost towards in the competition, if they face each other again. So you don't you don't want to give too much either way. Is really I think I think England are in a good place, really good place. They've got some momentum. They've been really great since those two defeats back to back to Canada and France uh, in the Clark Tour and the Clark Tournament. Is this is their this is their competition really they have to be the favorite they have to be able to deal with that pressure it won't be easy they've got a super talented squad maybe one of the of the the best squads they've ever had this is their chance this has to be the moment but we will know tomorrow already there will be a bit of pressure for that game. We will see how they can cope with it, what the what the lineup is to start with because there's a lot of competition, what are the big players doing because this is where the Euro starts really. Then there's a Switzerland game, the last friendly before it really starts which I don't think is as important as that Netherlands game tomorrow night.
4: Absolutely. Let's bring in BBC Sports Emma Sanders who was at Serena Wiegmann's press conference this afternoon. Hi Emma.
6: Hi, hope you're well.
4: Yeah, you too. Thanks for joining us. Um, talk to us about Serena this afternoon because she is Dutch. She led her nation to Euro 2017, a, a brilliant tournament there and, and, and a great win. This is going to be weird emotionally for her, isn't
6: it? Yeah, absolutely. I think weird is, is the right word to use. As you said, you know, she led that side <laughs> to the European Championship in 2017. She led them to a, a World Cup final in 2019. She was with with them as a player for almost 15 years so it's quite obvious where her nationality and her allegiances lie in terms of from that heart but obviously she's going out there um, to do a job with england we asked her about it in the press conference we said Are you going to be emotional? She said, no. She's quite a calm person anyway. She's a very chilled, laid-back manager. But she did say it was going to be a special game. And there was no denying that for her personally, and obviously for a lot of her backroom staff who have also come over from the Netherlands, I think it's just a good time for them all to be together, to see some old friends, some old teammates. And obviously, Serena will absolutely want to win this game. She will not want to lose against the Netherlands.
4: We're just over two weeks away from the tournament. How crucial will this fixture be in terms of shaping the starting 11 that begins the tournament?
6: I think it could be really crucial. I spoke to her after the Belgian win last week. England won 3 0 um, at Wolves in that game. And the the starting lineup was probably a little bit of an indication as to what we might be able to see. It was a strong team a lot of players that have played together, the back line is starting to take shape, the front line very much, you, you think that's pretty much chosen now, and she has the number one goalkeeper. I think it's just in the midfield positions where there might be a little bit of question marks over whether or not she's going to use the likes of Jill Scott or Georgia Stanway, perhaps Ella Toon, who's a nice, exciting young player who's coming through. It's just finding that blend uh, for that that partnership, really, in midfield. So I think that's something which... If she goes with the same three again against the Netherlands, then I think that would be a very, very strong indication, depending on how well that they do, as to whether or not she will she will keep that going into the Euros.
4: Julian, Emma, this is both a question to you. This is going to be strange for England because every team they've played over the past year, they've battered, well, the majority of them. They, they've absolutely walked all over. How strange is it going to be to come up against a team that won't lie down and and won't just take a, a beating off them?
6: Yeah, well, I think we, we've just heard from the Dutch camp in their press conference as well. And Sherida Spitz, who's due to make her 200th appearance, she has actually just put down a bit of a fire warning to to England and said, look, England are not used to losing under Serena Wiegmann, But she said, watch out tomorrow, because that could be an experience for them. And I think, obviously, the Netherlands given the fact that they are the defending champions going into the Euros. They are one of the big favourites. But then England on home soil are one of the big favourites. So it's about how those two teams deal with that pressure.
5: Yeah, I agree with Emma. I mean, we, we mentioned the defeat against France before and, and Canada. They drew against Spain as well. And, and Canada in the... Um, in the the Arnold Clark Cup. Those big games are very different to the ones that they won 10-0 or 5-0 in the World Cup qualifiers, for example. It's the same for all the big countries. Unfortunately, in the women's game right now, there's still a big gap between the smaller nations and the much bigger nations, which which is inevitable, I think, right now. But but those big games are very different. And, and again, we said before, this is very much the Euro starting tomorrow. It, it is. It's, it's not so much a friendly anymore. This is where you start your tournament. And I think this is a huge game with the pressure that comes with it pressure to be it's your home tournament, pressure to play against a team that has, I think, a lot of the tools to to cause you problems because they can keep the ball well. They move the ball really well. They've got Vivian Miedema up front who's, who's amazing. But England have a lot of qualities and they have they have to show tomorrow. That's why we were saying earlier. This is tomorrow where your big players have to step up. Emma is right. What kind of midfield will we see? Defensively, are they going to cope that back four with, with the Dutch attack, for example? All of that is going to be quite fascinating to follow.
4: Emma, we know a lot about you know, certain members of the squad, the Dutch squad, Sari Van Vienendel, Dominic Janssen, Daniel van der Donk, all plenty of experience uh, in the WSL. Vivian Miedema, as, as Jules mentioned, is 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 different class. Um, what we don't know much about is the actual Dutch manager, Mark Parsons, an Englishman leading uh, Netherlands. What can you tell us about him?
6: Yeah, he's a really interesting character, actually. Like I say, we, we have just heard from him and he was talking about a story where his daughter is went into Sainsbury's earlier this week and she saw a poster of Lucy Bronze and she was questioning why why they had chosen the wrong team. She's very much here to support the Dutch team. They're very very competitive and they really really want to win this game despite obviously their allegiances being from England. But yet yeah, 12 years ago he was a reserve coach at Chelsea. He's gone and managed in the in the United States. He did very well there at club level before then obviously taking over the Dutch side from Serena in September. But I think it's been, it's been difficult for him making that transition from, from club to international. He spoke to, to BBC Sport earlier this week about that sort of length of time that he has to work with the players and just being able to manage how he almost communicates with them over such a short, short space of time. That's something that he hasn't been used to. So it has been a challenge. And obviously taking over from someone like Serena, who's had so much success with the Netherlands... I think he's just very eager to showcase what he can do and especially at home in England where he will be coaching on a professional level for the first time in front of his family on on home soil. So, um, yeah, like I say, a very interesting character, very, very competitive and just like Serena won't want to lose this game, there's no way that Mark Parsons wants to lose on home soil in front of his family either.
4: Emma, great stuff. Thank you for joining us, Emma Sanders of BBC Sport, with us on Five Lives Football Daily. By the way, if you scroll back through the Football Daily feed, wherever you get your podcast on BBC Sounds, there is a special Getting to Know the Lionesses episode on uh, the feed. Our team went to St. George's Park and chatted with Ellen White, Leah Williamson, Frank Kirby, Millie Bright, Ellie Roebuck, amongst others. Jill Scott was in there as well. You've got to listen to it. It is a very, very good listen. Head over to BBC Sounds... And, uh, and go and grab it. Let's switch our focus back to uh, to club matters because ties continue to be cut with the Roman Abramovich era at Chelsea. The departures of uh, Chairman Bruce Buck and Sporting Director Marina Granovskaya have been announced this week. New owner Todd Burley is now acting as an interim in that sort of Sporting Director role. Um, Don, it's all change at Stamford Bridge.
2: It is all change um, and it's it feels like the right thing to do but it feels like it's going to take a little bit of time. I think from, from looking from from my angle into Chelsea it looks as though there's been a lot of turmoil uh, on and off the pitch. There's been obviously many players who've been linked with the way there's quite a few players being linked to come into Chelsea and they certainly need defenders. Um, it's sport and director for example guys and, and, and women in charge at Chelsea they've all all the majority now moved on, and you start to think, "Well, what direction are they going to go in? What's what, what's their strategy going to be? Is it going to be like the Chelsea before, where you know if a manager fails, um, he's out the door within a season or two? Is Thomas Tuchel going to get enough time to to impress the new owners? Um, so I think from from my angle, looking from my point of view, I'm going to be very interested to see what their strategy is going to be and how they go about things.
5: There could not be a worse timing for all those changes, considering the rebuilding job that they have to do for their squad. They've lost already two centre backs in Rudiger and Christensen. As Piliqueta, I think he's on his way out. And even if he wasn't, he's getting so he's getting old. And as we saw last season, he was he was not at his best. He was very frustrated. There was a lot of anger by him. Jago Silva is is obviously going to be 39. So the the your your defence as a whole has to be has to be worked on. Then your midfield, you still have Angolo Conte as much as I love him, who's who still misses 50% of your matches because of the injuries now and, and the, the the lack of fitness that he has. Jorginho is 31 and I'm not really sure I'm not sure that Tuchel sees him as, as important as when he arrived at the club. And then obviously going forward Lukaku is about to leave and it's up to you if you replace him or not. But if you don't again you need to you need to make sure that Kai Havertz and the others can 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 be good enough to score all the goals that you need. Otherwise, you're gonna go and you have to replace him. So all that work to have that you have to do, even if Marina would will stay until the end of the summer, it's it's gonna feel very, very different. Uh it's a new owner, we're not really sure how much money he has. And also, I think if you are the new owner now and you see the disaster that was the Lukaku move, surely, surely you're gonna be far more cautious into spending a lot of money on players because that was a disaster. That was really a disaster. And we're not here to point fingers out. It's your fault. It's his fault. It's her fault, whatever. But yeah. it's someone that you bought for £100 million and that you're just going to let go on loan to the club that you just spent £100 million on, which is crazy.
2: I wonder for the first time now if Chelsea actually got it
5: all on to finish in the Champions League spots this season for all the reasons that Julian's just mentioned. It's, it's, I think it's going to. It's a huge season coming. And not just because he's the first one of the new owner. It's because, as you mentioned, the pressure on Tuchel would be higher than ever before, uh, because the pressure on that on that dressing room, on that squad would be huge. I really don't know where they're going to go in terms of recruitment now. Uh, yeah, they they are talking to players. Jules Kunde, for example, is very much high on their list. But how doable is it? They tried in January, they failed you have to they're going to start pre-season in two weeks time now so less than that even so you need bodies you need players and i think this could be a very very tricky season jules what i don't understand fundamentally is is that
4: marina has proved herself to be good at what she does amazing respected within the club respected within football they get business done quick there's no faffing around like we see at other premier league clubs why upset the apple cart? Why are you announcing this now when she is staying to the end of the summer for a transitional handover? Let her stay to the end of the summer, close the window and go, thank you very much, goodbye. Why are they announcing this now?
5: It's a really good question. I, I don't know. I wonder the same thing. Is it? Is Did she... Maybe she wanted it to be official like that. Uh, maybe Todd Burley felt this is my era now and I want people to know that this is a, f- a fresh new start. It's a new era, even if she stayed for the summer to take care of business. This is still very much my time now and I, I put my people in and this is what's going to happen, Peter check I believe I was told he's going to have a meeting as well with the new owner to see like what his role is going to be what do what what's happened to Scott McClanahan who's who's a big part maybe he's the less known of all those those important kind of board level directors if you want but he's also a, a very important guy and has has taken some big big decisions especially with the players coming from Germany what happens to him all of this uncertainty his role is so bad it is so bad and again I can't stress enough it's such a key time, it's such a key summer for the club that all of that, I think, is, 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 is detrimental. So are
4: you telling me that the owner who has no background
5: in football is now in charge of the recruitment of the club? I'm not sure that's the case. One, because Marina was not really a sporting narrator. Let's make that clear. She was in charge of the business. She was balancing the books. She was dealing with the transfer fees, the wages, negotiating, all of that. And she was amazing at it. Like you said, respected everywhere in Europe. She had an incredible network. But she was not saying... I want to sign Aaron Paul because he's amazing in the air and I want him at the back with Thiago Silva. That's not going to happen. She might have thought about Don Hutchinson to strengthen the midfield, but I I doubt it as well. But but, but for what she had to do, it was great. But it was others saying, let's go and sign him. I want him.
4: No, we're not talking about scouting here. Forget scouting and recruitment. Yeah. I'm talking about actually getting the deals done. Is Todd Burley because the Guardian are reporting something along those lines? Is Todd Burley going to be the mm. one who's dealing with the CEOs at the other club and it,
5: it, it, the other clubs and trying to get deals done? If she really stays until the end of the summer, which we believe is the case, then she will still do that for now. I don't know. In January, they will have to appoint someone. Or maybe Todd may Todd might feel like, hey, I can do this. If Edward Wood did it, I can do it. I can do it better than him. I hope, I mean, we all can. But, um, but I, don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's a really strange, I think it's a strange atmosphere at the club right now. And I think it's a, yeah, it's one that I would not welcome, to be fair. Don, talk to me about what Chelsea
4: actually need this summer because look, Lukaku's gone out the door. How many do you reckon they need to bring in for, for Thomas wow. Tuchel to get them back up challenging Liverpool and City?
2: Challenging Liverpool and City. I mean, I mean, you're looking at probably half a dozen because because Liverpool and City are light years away from everyone in the Premier League. You know, they've been building. They've these these building blocks in place now for a good four or five years. The managers have been around for a long time. You know, Liverpool. I heard Ian Ayre actually talking um, the other day, and he was quite open and quite honest about Liverpool's transfer committee. And it was fascinating how he said Jurgen Klopp's always going to be the man that chooses the players. Once Jurgen Klopp identifies a certain player, then it's up to that committee to go and find the player or find four or five in the right position. Then it's up to the manager. So in terms of what Thomas Tuchel's got to work with, Julian said it, and the word he used there was bodies. And that's what they need because I've been on pre-season camps when you have been light. And I've been at clubs like you know, West Ham and Sunderland in the Premier League. Liverpool many, many years ago, Everton as well, but we're talking a club the size of Chelsea trying to get close to a magnificent team in Liverpool and a remarkable side and team and manager in Guardiola. So it's not just bodies that's going to fill a squad that's going to come in the dressing room and make it healthy. And look, right, you've got, you know, you've got guys that are going to be squad players. Losing the likes of Lukaku, it means you need to go out and buy a number nine. You know, Timo Werner, I don't think is going to be the man as much as I love him, the much I think. When I've seen him in in Germany, in the, in the Bundesliga, phenomenal player, can play different positions. I think you watch him in a Chelsea shirt and the confidence is gone. I'm not sure you can get it back, even though the, the performances that he's put in have been quite helpful to, to Kai Havertz and the players around him. But you are looking at a serious number if you are saying, not just where me and Jules, and that's why I asked the question about top four, because top four is the Champions League spots. That's where you want to be. But a number to try and get close to Man City and Liverpool? you're looking at half a dozen at least. A couple of transfer
4: moves we've discussed in recent episodes of the Football Daily, Raheem Sterling to Chelsea, Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal. I want to discuss why these moves are significant. Um, Jules, the last time City allowed a first-teamer to join another big six club, other than on a free transfer, was was 10 years ago. Now they Mm. could be set to sell two players for, for big money at the same time. Why is Pep having this overhaul? Is this an evolution of his squad?
5: What is it? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. It's, it's contractual situations as well. Considering they both have only one year left on the contract, so you you know you you can extend them, but maybe you you feel like with Holland coming and and Julian Alvarez coming, and maybe more, you feel like okay, it's, it's a good time to to sell them, get some money. You know that if you sell to another top six English clubs, as as risky in a way that is because it could come back to bat you when you play against them in the Premier League. They have more money than anybody else in Europe. They offer bigger wages than anybody else in Europe. So you've got more chances to do a good deal with Arsenal or Chelsea than to do a good deal with a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or even a Bayern Munich or PSG. So that's why I think right now, they are in contact with, with those English clubs to sell Sterling and Gabriel Jesus because the interest is strong. I really believe that Chelsea, we talked about Dembele earlier. I think Sterling is similar in the sense that they need someone like him to beat players one-on-one, to to play wide, use use that width of the pitch instead of have, having those two tens I, I think Tujol is going to change the formation next season. He has to because there, there's no way they're signing three centre-backs this summer. So I think they will have to play back four and change a little bit the philosophy and then maybe play with wingers or at least one one really wide player who could be Sterling Dembele. And for Gabriel Jesus, Arteta has worked with him before. You could see why he would want him at the club. And I think for City, it makes sense because they could get more money than from those two clubs than they would get anywhere else in Europe. Don, do you think this
4: sort of rondo between the big six is going to become more and more prevalent now because very simply they can sell their top assets for top dollar everyone's got money in the Premier League you know you look Mm. at clubs outside of the top six Villa spending loads and loads of money and we'll be talking about Mm. them in a moment Newcastle have got money they're not in the top six you know even newly promoted sides Fulham they've got money they're just a bit sort of hesitant about spending it at the moment Mm. do you think we're going to see this giant sort of rondo appearing?
2: I think so. I, I, I think, you know, after COVID now, I think we'll see a lot of teams sort of loosen the purse strings and have a real good go because the, the Premier League's alive. It's it's a phenomenal train that's just getting bigger and faster every single season. I think, obviously, it took a massive dent and a massive hit with COVID and, and, and no one knew really how to react because it was on unprecedented times. But now we're looking at teams, as you mentioned, like Villa, trying to get into the European spots. Newcastle now trying to get into European spots. You know, the teams that come up, they might find it a little bit harder because it's always a little bit difficult. So they've got a little bit, try and be a bit shrewd on how, how they go about things. But I would always, going back to Guardiola and, and, and Raheem Serling and, and Jesus, I would always trust Guardiola's methods. I think he's a manager that knows exactly what he's doing. I was stunned probably two or three seasons ago when Leroy Sane went out the door and I thought, what a signing he's been or what a player he could be. What a player he was at the time, and they allowed him to leave because that's how Guardiola sees it. He thinks he can make players better, as all said. Alvarez is coming in, Haaland's coming in, they're looking at Kukurea, Brighton, who's a good player. Um, eight Nori, I think, want to watch at Wolves. I think he'll probably go to a big club. That'll be his next big move. So I think it's very, very fascinating now when you're looking at all the teams. Arsenal, obviously, had a great window last summer. They're going to have a go. I mean, if they get Jesus through the door, what a window they've had. So you can see how desperate everyone is to try and get in those European spots and the top four because, as we've talked about Chelsea, you know there was probably one spot that was open last season because Arsenal were off it, Man United were off it, um, Tottenham were off it as well. Now, all of a sudden, with Chelsea's problems, there could be two spots available. So everyone's sort of going for it. It's going to be an amazing watch to see how everyone spends their money.
4: Absolutely. Let's push on and talk Aston Villa now because the pressure on, on Steven Gerrard on the expectation is humongous. Bit of an underwhelming finish the last season, finishing 14th, three places and 10 points worse off than Dean Smith's final full season uh, in charge. They, they've they spent money. Bubicar Kamara's coming on a free. Diego Carlos signing for a fee of around £27 million and Felipe Coutinho uh, from Barcelona, £17 million. Um, Jules, he's got to get it right this year because they're, they're backing him.
5: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it was still a good... Certainly, since f- from the moment Gerard took over, I think a couple of games before the end of the season, there were eight, if you had counted the games, that Stevie w- was in charge of the team. So I don't think it was as bad as maybe the, the end, the the, the the last table of the season maybe looked. They had some really good games, really good performances, really good moments. We saw Mati Cash, for example, almost transformed completely by Gerard and by the, the, the new identity of the team. Um, yes, they had deeper form. I'm not really sure how you how you explain it, really. But but it was a bit up and down. I give you that. I still think they're on the right path. And those transfers. I mean, Camara. I know him so well from from Marseille, and he's he's a, a fantastic signing. I remember when Gerard um, went to Marseille to watch him. Was at the Velodrome to watch him play. And I put it on on Twitter and people were like, there's no way. There's no way they can sign him. You know, why would he go there? Blah, 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 He went there because he liked the project. He went there because he wanted to work with TVG. Because himself as a defensive midfielder, he knew there was a lot of things to learn every day at training with Gerard, And rightly so. Then they go on San Diego Carlos, who is a Champions League, he's a Champions League centre-back. Yes, at times he's a bit rash and he makes some, some crazy decisions at times, but he will learn as well. But I, I think he would fit really well in that team and really well in the Premier League too. So they, they, I think they're on a good path, but you're right. They, the pressure would be high because that investment that investment brings the pressure with it to be fair. So mm. it'd be yeah, it'd be, it'd be really interesting. I, I, I believe in him. I think he's going to be an amazing manager.
2: Aaron, there was one point last season when I was watching All of Villa's games, and they went up to St. James's Park and played Newcastle. And it was quite an iconic sort of picture and, and, and a moment where you'd never sort of put the two things together. And it was Stevie G sat in his manager's chair in the dugout It's in James's Park. And he was slumped. And he was sort of like lying down off his seat. And what I saw there was a manager watching his players. And the last 20 minutes of the game, I was watching him. And I was looking at the manager thinking, I know exactly what he's thinking here. And he's watching the game unfold and his team were a mile off it. They we're getting walloped. And Stevie G was thinking, you'll be gone, you'll be gone, you'll be (laughs) gone, and you'll be gone.
4: Who do you think he was thinking that of?
2: Oh, well, it'd be be quite cruel on me to mention one or two names, but I I, I probably think Tyrone Mings might be in that conversation. I I think Mm. he's he's a fantastic player, but not probably where Villa or where he wants, wants Villa to go. He wants him in the top four. He wants him in the top six. He wants him in European spots. Is he good enough to to lead that side. Fantastic individual, great character, very good player and probably a guy that you want around the dressing room for sure and there's probably, there probably two or three more as well um, but as Jules is saying, I think they've got the basis. When, when you look at people like Jacob Ramsey and Douglas Luiz and then you look at the fullbacks and Matty Cash and Luca Dean, you think, you wouldn't swap those for two fullbacks for many more in the Premier League so the basis is there for him and it's going to take one or two windows I know he's under pressure and he's going to get linked with this, with this, you know, the Liverpool move whenever it might happen, where Jurgen Klopp hangs up his boots. But I think leave him at Villa, he's an ambitious manager. He's a bright manager as well. He knows, he knows the game. His contacts are getting bigger in the game with every season that goes by. And I would, and I, and I, I think I'm with with Jules. Trust him. I think he'll deliver.
5: I was at the Villa Spurs game when mm. that first half they just destroy Spurs completely. And could not score. They just literally. Lloris was amazing in goal. Their downfall should not be and could not be a striker who is not scoring because they will create loads of chances. Mm. And and they need. I I like Watkins. I like Danny Ings. This is not a problem. I wonder if the next step now is to get someone who will get the 25 or 20 goals a season, but like be consistent in front of goals, because that for me that that first half especially against Spurs. Then they. Then they were picked apart on on the break in the second half. But that first half, especially, they should have been 2-0 up easily at halftime. And this is the kind of game that you have to win, especially at Villa Park, where your team has to be on top. And to be on top like that, you need them to take your chances. And clearly, the only thing they didn't do right in that game was that. And I think they need that guy. Maybe Watkins can be that guy. Maybe Ince can still be that guy. But I've got my doubts. And and I I I just I would I would want to see them maybe looking into that, that player or those players and make sure that next year, because you can do all the work you want as a manager, have all the best identity, all the patterns of play, all the great style. If your striker or your two strikers up front don't deliver for you, then I think you, you will always be a bit disappointing result-wise.
4: Lewandowski.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Avila like, Park, oh my God. Don, uh, yeah. who else <laughs> is starting the new uh, Premier League season
4: under, under a bit of scrutiny?
2: And listen, I was chatting to someone today in the very first game of the new season. It's a Friday night, like last season when Brentford turned over Arsenal and they got off to a shocking start. And all of a sudden you look at the first fixtures now, Friday night, Crystal Palace, Arsenal. So that could be one where if Arsenal lose that one against their rivals and Vieira's men are doing brilliantly and he's been a fantastic... I remember their first game actually against Chelsea when they got beat 3-0 on match day one last season or the season before the sort of years are just sort of flying by. And it was unlike a Patrick Vieira side. They got walloped. So the pressure already is starting to build on Arteta. I think he needs he needs a solid start. I mean, granted, I mean, I think they played Man City, I think Chelsea in, the, in, in after that Brentford game in the first three games of the season that were sitting rock bottom in the Premier League. So that seemed a little bit harsh on them. But you feel as though the end of the season when the Champions League fourth spot was there for them and they couldn't go to St. James's Park and grind a win and get a win. And it told me... Got some brilliant young players, fantastic young talents, exciting youngsters to watch, but they just need a little bit of mouse. So maybe Arteta might be the man under pressure.
4: Julien, very quickly, it's the great man, Zinedine Zidane's 50th birthday. The floor is yours. Pay tribute to him.
5: Ta, joyeux anniversaire. Come on, that's Don. enough. Joyeuse, no, that's uh, enough. I don't know the song. Yeah, it's the French happy birthday, joyeux anniversaire. Uh, 50 years old today, June 23rd. Well, I mean, I, I don't even player. know where to start. Quickly, I know it's quickly, but I wanted to think, I know he's listening. Uh I wanted to sing so everybody can, you know, can relate. World player, what manager, incredible. A I don't know what's next. The national team will be next whenever Deschamps stops. Uh, and i wish him all the best i i was really lucky to meet him as a player and cover the the 6 world cup for example the, the most iconic of them all for what he did during and and in the final uh, and also as a manager we spent a lot of time together he's a he's a he's a really fascinating guy and and you know 50, 50 is uh, i mean you and i aren't we're not really sure what 50 is don knows too well so uh um, oh. <laughs> <Joy's laughs> <anniversary>, don <laughs>
4: <laughs> happy birthday to, uh, to the legend that is Zinedine Zidane Alo Finny thank you very fini. much for your company this afternoon I, I, I really appreciate it uh, it's been fun Don see you later pal yeah.
2: see you later See you later. Thank, thank you, guys.
4: Dunne, thank you, Don and Julian. And the next episode of the Football Daily will feature reaction and analysis of England's friendly against the Netherlands as part of their Euro 2022 build up. There's commentary of the match as part of Friday evening's Five Live Sport. Thanks, though, to you for listening. Catch you soon.
2: Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM.
3: Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room on Joy
0: 99.7 FM.
3: The ninth champions in this competition history for Nigeria, nine times
1: champions. <laughs> ah, that feels like yesterday. This was the moment Nigeria were crowned 2018 champions of the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, the continent's biggest football tournament. For the ninth time, and there have only been eleven tournaments. <laughs> it's quite a winning streak. And with the tournament about to get underway in Morocco tomorrow, it was postponed in 2020 due to the pandemic. The defending champions start their quest for a tenth title. And though Nigeria go into the twelfth Women's Africa Cup of Nations as farm favorites, their captain, Asisat. Oshwala thinks that they could face some stiff competition this year.
7: The last time we lost to South Africa in the friendly game and... We couldn't even beat some teams like Mali. We struggled to beat them. So it just shows that it's not going to be easy the way it used to be. So right now, we need to double up. We need to step up our game and try to make sure that we retain the title.
1: It's really been great to see African women's football grow from strength to strength. But there's no doubt Super Falcons remain the queens of the tournament. So why does Nigeria dominate women's football in Africa? And can anyone knock them off the top spot? I'm Alan Kasuja and this... Is Africa Daily. For today's episode, I'm joined by two women who know football inside out. Janine Anthony, a football journalist from Nigeria, and Jin Seninde, a former football player for Uganda's national team. So, why are the Super Falcons so good? What's led to Nigeria's dominance in women's football on the continent? That's the first burning question I put to Janine.
7: I think when it comes to women's football, pretty much anything in life, if you start something early enough, that's a tendency that you get to be a master at it. And that's exactly what happened to Nigeria. Actually, the influence of other sports actually really, really also propelled women's football in Nigeria. So we had the early teams of the Nigerian team participating at World Cups. They were actually participating in other sports, athletics, field events and all of that. So that love for sports, not just in school, but also what they were doing for the country itself, permeated into the national team. And Nigeria is one of only eight countries that have been to every World Cup since the first start in 1991. By the time they started that, it was really hard to not have a head start and they've gone on to literally obliterate the continent because they've won okay. at least the Cup of Nations nine times, or unofficially 11, but nine times, and it's just been going from, from strength to strength.
1: You're saying unofficially 11. What do you mean?
7: Unofficially 11 because the first set of Cup of Nations, Women's Cup of Nations, which was in 1991 and 1995, were considered as World Cup qualifiers. So in 1998, when MCAF, decided to call it a Women's Cup of Nations tournament itself, it started counting medals from there. So they counted wins from 1998 up until 2022.
1: That's interesting. And Jean, Janine there says Nigeria has obliterated the rest of the continent. I wonder, why has Nigeria been so successful? Is it because the rest of the continent just plays rubbish football?
8: Mm-hmm. Actually, Nigeria, just like Janine said, they've been in this for a long time. They've had players who are really, really experienced. And I think they are also banking on that. We won't say they've had a lot of money to support women's football, but again, uh, it's taken so long for all African countries to wake up and realize that women's football is such a great thing. So they are going to have a lot of experience. They've had a lot of experience. If you see Enomi Ebi, who has been playing for such a long time for the Nigerian team, and they are going to have all those experienced players back in the squad, and they've had them... Top of players like Enomi, top of players like Chikweru, all these players have been helping the team for such a long time.
1: So, Nigeria has been dominant. Is there a chance that someone else might come and take them down? Is there a chance that they might lose that dominance, do you think?
8: Yeah, we talk about teams like South Africa who have reached the finals about four times before. Uh, they will be looking to really push for the final this time and hopefully win the whole trophy. I think there are also debutants this time around. Before, there have been six teams only in the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, and now there are 12 teams. So teams like Nigeria, the Regulars, the South Africans, they are not going to to know about the debutants, they're not going to know much about the strength and depth of, the, of these teams. It's going to be a shocking Women Africa Cup of Nations, an interesting one to watch as well. New players are going to be born and seen on the continent. But again, we have to watch out for Nigeria because they still have the strong players in Oshwala. They now have Ashley Plumtree, who is playing for Leicester City. So it's going to be a tough one. They are going to fight to keep the title, but also they are going to be fighting to keep their place in the FIFA Women's World Cup? Janine? Um,
7: it's, it's very tough. There are definitely a lot of contenders. Morocco uh, went in and did the thing. They went in. They really invested in their women's football. They've beaten big wigs when it comes to women's football in friendlies. they defeated Cameroon. Morocco is also on home soil. They lost to Nigeria. There is that eternal rivalry in men's football and women's football. Definitely they want to do that in South Africa. Five finals always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, definitely, they want to be able to shake Nigeria and do that. However, as much as all these teams have improved, Nigeria has also improved. So it's going to be tough, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of motivation to sort of knock Nigeria off its perch. So there will be a lot of contenders for sure, but i really still see Nigeria, um claiming the title.
1: Right, and Janine, our best, I'm talking about Africa's best, how do they compare to the rest of the world? Can they actually sit comfortably with the best of the best in the world.
7: Yes, I mean, in Africa, we love seniority and being an elder and leadership. So definitely, being in every World Cup since 1991, of course, you're going to sit at the table of big girls and big women. We see you know, pretty recent friendly games where Nigeria played the Olympic champions, Canada. They lost 2-0 in the first um, leg and the second leg was a hard-fought 2-2 draw. And Nigeria will also be facing Japan, who were a World Cup finalists. So, And Nigeria has also played USA a number of times as well obviously there's still that 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 gap i'm always a firm believer i always say the way nigeria started in women's football africa could have had a world cup champion by now if there was a lot of investment in the national team
1: and and i wonder though do you feel though sometimes janine that um, that the male team gets a lot more attention than it deserves and that a bit more attention ought to be directed to the women's football in nigeria
7: Yeah, absolutely. Every day and twice on Sunday, uh, men's teams always (laughs) get attention. Yeah, they get more attention. And what's the funny thing is the Nigerian women's national team are the most successful national team, men or women, in Africa. The Great Egypt have won as many Cup of nations titles, Nigeria has won it nine times. That is how dominant they've been. And, and did a piece a few years ago where it was about should they be earning the same? Should there be equal pay? But it's not just equal pay, it's just equal treatment. If you know, if players are getting on first class, business class, why aren't they doing the same? If they're getting as much number of friendlies when it comes to men's national teams, why aren't women getting the same? And with the injection of FIFA funding with the COVID pandemic, that's really helped national teams catch up. We're seeing a lot of them spring up uganda for one i'm really looking forward to seeing them as well very exciting basically we need to see a lot of federations do more for women's football so that it can begin to grow we are far behind the rest of the world in africa we are far behind it and we need to be
1: bridging that gap and overtaking as we ought to do you know what do you say about that
8: yeah honestly I'm in full agreement that women are not treated as special as the men I feel that women have to really work hard and prove their worth if you look at players like Washala if she didn't go to Barcelona and participate in uh, Champions Leagues no one would know about her and uh, that has helped uh, such players come up so much lots of Nigerian players are now foreign based which is also helping them to maybe put in the good performances. Nigeria are champions for such a long time and I think we can compare that to the U.S. women's national team. They are winning day in day out but they are still not receiving the treatment they deserve because we need to start competing with the likes of USA at the top level so that people can respect African football. That would be really good.
1: Do you think there's still stigma around young girls playing football, Jean? How are they encouraged to play in Uganda, in Nigeria? How are you encouraging young people to take up the sport?
8: There is still stigma. There is still people who think women shouldn't play football, which is really, really hard. Personally, as a former player, I feel it's important to continue pushing from the grassroots, especially to inspire these young girls that you can actually do it.
1: I'm very keen to hear from both of you. Why is West Africa doing better, both in men and women's football, than East Africa? I'll start with you, Jean. What do you think the reason for that is?
8: Just to check in something, this year, let's not be scared. I mean, shocked when the likes of Uganda come in and shock the rest of the world. But anyway, <laughs> <I> think- <laughs> just like Janine said, I think... For a very long time, they've been playing. They've participated in lots of Africa Cup of Nations. And most of these African countries, really, we are debutants. Look at Uganda. This will be only the second time since 2000. Burundi is going to be a debutant. I mean, we are pretty much new to the scene, but I think we are coming with a lot of force. But I think it's just about the resources. It's how much that they've believed in football for such a long time. It's hard to compete. But I think it's now it's just a matter of time because I believe that every Everyone in East Africa has woken up. I, I, I won't say that those Western countries are still going to be successful. Let them just watch out for what is yet to come. Oh,
1: I prepare your predictions because I'm coming to those next. And and do you have anything to add to what Gina's just said, Janine?
7: It's pretty much it. You know, when you have a head start, you're always going to be you know top drawer. And also, I mean we could say the same thing if we switch it up to say some parts of athletics you know long distance you know know, races why are you know East Africans better than West Africans there will always be a niche really and when certain sports are a cultural identity of of a people I I try to not make it too homogeneous but West Africa football is really huge in in terms of their culture and and as a unifier so they'll tend to dedicate more into that but then again at the end of the day with more tournaments with more um, exposure with European football just continue to grow and you know all eyes will, will definitely be on european football and wanting that to replicate in africa the fire will, will spread across and you know everybody will be on the same level
1: prediction time let's hear it from you jean. four semi-finalists
8: it's going to be a tough one i think i'll go for nigeria south africa again for the final but i mean for the semi-final we can also talk of teams like cameroon i mean since i'm from uganda i'm going to just say uganda
1: so as far as you're concerned jean and we shall review this list hopefully soon It's going to be Nigeria, South Africa, Cameroon, Uganda. It's the last four teams. Uh, With which one taking it?
8: Um, Nigeria.
1: Nigeria. Okay. Janine?
8: Right.
7: (laughs) So, without hesitation, Nigeria, Cameroon, South Africa, and Morocco, I think they're the strongest. And and, and that will do it. So, that will be the fourth semifinalists and the ones who go to the World Cup. I hope Uganda goes to the World Cup because I think if they're one of the best top six they might play in the world cup qualifiers and continental playoffs so africa might have six teams at the world cup so i do hope that uganda um gets it then as well but i think morocco south africa cameroon and nigeria will be just too strong and of course nigeria I mean, nigeria has a hashtag hashtag going for 10 i like that ring you know so yeah 10 10 titles used for nigeria i see them winning for sure
1: mm, and that might be it's down for this overconfidence right this is. This might be the reason they don't win it this time. So.
7: Facts is not overconfident.
1: <laughs> Facts, says Janine. Confident Super Falcons will yet again be African Women's Champions, as does Jean. Nigeria's first match will see them go against their rivals, South Africa. And if you want to hear more from the. Tournament. Jean will be part of BBC Africa's commentary team during the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. So tune in and be sure to follow all the updates across the BBC and see if Jean and Janine are right and Nigeria clinked
0: Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
1: Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply.
0: Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.
1: 10th Women's African Cup of Nations. A big thank you to my guests today, Jean Seninde and Janine Anthony. Africa Dale is a BBC World Service production, and my producers today were Priya Sipi, Richard Moran, Janet Ball, and Victoria Wonda. Our editors are Simon Peeks and Toyosi Oguncheye. And before you even ask, I will of course be cheering the Ugandan crested cranes. <laughs> we go, we go. Uganda cranes, we go. Who are you rooting for? Drop me a line. I'm on Twitter. My handle is atkasudja. That's with two J's. Station with the best best best, 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 music. Best music. I love, the music, love the music. best music,
8: joy 99.7 FM, keep this frequency clear.
3: Your body on my own. I must take you to my home. You must give me pride for sure. Jay, your mind, eh? there. Waiting you, they carry for front and Joy. Back 99.7 FM. It's all set from head to toe. I don't want to leave this place alone. What's your name? She said, Caro. For short. But my name, Carolina. I'll make we come out from this place. Will you come over, Caro? A rock a but my name is Carolina uh, Let we promote from this place when you come over In a bedroom, bad romancing, only bouncing, you'll be shouting In a your ear, now your name I'm pronouncing i take you higher than a tip of the mountain Pillow fighting, 69 in, your bumper the something, heart is pumping, push it all in Seven rounds like Listen, is your body on my own, I must take you to my home, you must give me pride for sure, check your mind, But to you, they carry for front and back now, oh, follow, you too sad from head to toe, I don't want to leave this place alone, what's your name? She said, Carol. Well for short, but my name, i make we come out, from this place, will you come over? I Car- Car- shot, Car- but my name is Carolina. Car- Make we come out from this place. When you come in, you're <laughs> naughty, naughty, naughty. Looking at your face, you up to something. You'll be hot past my morning coffee. So I'm one lick, the thing like toffee. Baby, got you bad, naughty, naughty? Looking at your face, you up to something. You'll be hot past my morning coffee. So i one lick, nothing like Cause the way you are balancing is your body on my own I must take you to my home You must give me private show Change your mind, babe eh? Waiting you to carry for front and back now of oh, alone. You two set from head to toe I don't want to leave this place alone What's your name? She said, Carol, I'm short But my name is Carolina i make we come out from this place, will you come over? Karo, karo, kashot. But my name is Carolina. Uh-huh. Make we come out from this place, will you come over? Oh no. Nah, yeah. My girl, she a bougie, get so classy. Girl, a lady in the street, but too bad she gets so nasty. Yeah. So fine, she doesn't look like movie actress. I know they look if I'm not too perfect. My girl,